Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Father, we ask you to open the word to us today. We cannot understand this word, not properly, without revelation. Holy Spirit, you must open our eyes and ears. You must make it live, or it's nothing but words to us. I pray for your grace upon me so that it is your voice we hear and not mine. Come upon us now, Lord, and feed your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, we'll start with uh, verse 18. We're going through... uh, the, the seven churches in Revelation right now, and we're going to look at Thyatira. So chapter 2, verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze says this, I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence, that's contagious disease, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. You'll notice the similarity between Pergamum and Thyatira. Pergamum had a, a, the Nicolaitans. Here we have uh, and, and a, some prophet there. Here you have a prophet. That's the same kind of thing, though, in, in, its, in its fruit. There have been false prophets since the days of the early church. And the Bible warns us that their number will only grow larger as the last days draw near. We'd all like to think that we're very discerning and not likely to be misled by anyone. But the fact is, false prophets can be very convincing. They may be brilliant and possess great personal magnetism. They may quote scripture right and left and move us emotionally when they speak so that it becomes extremely difficult not to be drawn in. And even those who are not deceived are likely to feel enormously intimidated by the thought of confronting such a person. Subtle self-doubts may plague us, making us wonder if we're not the ones who are deceived. After all, they seem so sure of themselves. And if they're highly successful in terms of the number of people who follow them, or have all the trappings of great wealth, the notion arises that maybe these are indicators of God's blessing. And who am I? to challenge God's anointed. So it's a lot easier to talk about false prophets as a vague, distant concept than it is to deal with one face-to-face. That's why we need to be patient with the believers in Thyatira. They had a real problem on their hands. And dealing with it was far more difficult than it might appear to us at this distance. Yet their example has much to teach us Because we will encounter more false prophets than they did. You understand that? The number is only growing and there were lots of them in the early church. And so there's more of this by far. We are awash in this kind of thing than they even had. Now I want to retell these verses here in in, uh, Revelation 2. And here's, I paraphrase them this way. Verse, Verse 18. The Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and feet like molten bronze sees everything with those great eyes and walks everywhere with you. 
speaking to the church in Thyatira. This is like, like uh, Psalm 139, where David says, uh, there's no place I can go, and you're not there. Uh, you know the th- words on my tongue before I speak them. Your, your, your knowledge of me is so great. Nothing's hidden from you. If I went to the most distant place, you're there. If I descended into to, to Sheol, you're there. There's no place you're not. You see all things. Same things being said here. Jesus says, with I with the eyes of fire, with the feet of molten bronze, I see all things and I'm with you everywhere. Nothing's hidden from me. Verse 19. What he sees when he looks at Thyatira is that most of you are the true disciples and are growing in your service to him. You notice that? I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance. He's complimenting them. He's saying you guys are doing great. You're, not, only are you, not only are you doing well, but you're growing better. Your deeds of late are greater than at first. Verse 20, I'm going I'm to give it to you in the literal Greek. But I have this against you. That you forgave the woman Jezebel. Now notice mine says that you tolerate. And I, I, I looked at the Greek. The word literally is that you forgive. Now what is that? Remember when Jesus said. Him who sins you retain shall be retained. Who sins you forgive shall be forgiven. And he was talking about discipline. And, and the authority of the church. In terms of releasing people for blessing. Or actually holding them accountable. So they would be disciplined. He said I have this against you. You forgave her. I want her disciplined. She, this, this, this heresy of hers is spreading from church to church. It's contaminating person after person. And you're just tolerating it. You're, you're forgiving it and ignoring it. This, the one calling herself a prophetess, and she teaches and deceives my servants to fornicate and eat idol sacrifices. Boy, when you get in the Greek, it's clear. Verse 21, I gave her time to repent, and she doesn't want to repent. All right, someone clearly, maybe John himself, has already confronted this woman. I gave her time. Someone has already said, stop, this is wrong, and she has not done so. Time has passed and she's continued on the same course. Remember, John pastored there in Ephesus. And each of these towns is about one day's walk from each other. And so you just go north to Smyrna and then to Pergamum and then you go to turn to Thyatira and you go, you go right on down the line like a string of pearls. And he pastored there for years. There's no question in my mind. He walked through these cities. He knows them. So it may well be John himself who has talked to her and said, this must stop. And it, and it didn't, but someone has. All right, verse 22. Yet Jesus wants the church in Thyatira to confront her again. That's what this letter's about. Do it again. Because he hopes that she and her followers will repent before he's forced to Now, the way he describes it here is throw her on a bed of sickness and kill her children with pestilence. (laughs) Basically, putting it in Paul's words, deliver her over to Satan for the destruction of her flesh so that her spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Jesus is saying, I want you confronting this woman that hopefully she'll repent because if you don't, I'm going to be dealing with her and here's what's coming. So it's a merciful thing. Would you please Confront her again and see if we can't get this, this situation to turn. Verse 23. He cannot continue to allow her to corrupt more and more people. It's got to stop. Into thinking that he doesn't see what they're doing and won't punish them for it. I'm the one who searches the hearts and minds. Don't forget that. Don't let, don't let anybody tell you I don't see it. And don't let anybody tell you I won't deal with it. I'm patient, but don't play that as though I won't do something. Verse 24. Other than the fact that they have been passive and overly tolerant toward this false prophetess, Jesus has no other complaint against this church. They have stayed faithful, refusing to be seduced by spiritual pride. The prophetess lured people by appealing to their pride, telling them she was teaching them the deep things of God. See how Jesus says it there? He says, you have not known the deep things of Satan. Well, I guarantee you, they didn't call it that. They call it the deep things of God. We're going to take you deep here. And we're going to teach you truths that the other common people don't know. And he says, let me tell you what those look like to me, the deep things of Satan. And he says, you have not bit 
on that hook of spiritual pride and gone with her, that group into deep things, you ha- but you have been faithful to me. To follow her was to become more and more spiritual than the other shallow people in the church. Now let's listen to a few warnings. Just, I'll just take two of them. Acts chapter 20. I want to show you that this whole problem with false teachers, false prophets, false leaders uh, was very much part of the early church's life. This isn't something we just have uh, today or will happen at the end of time. Paul is uh, on his way to Jerusalem. He's passing by uh, Ephesus. He was the pastor in Ephesus for, I think it's three and a half years. And he, he stops on the coast, the ship pulls in, and he sends a note back, says to the elders of the Ephesian church, please come and see me. I want to say goodbye to you. Now, he doesn't want the whole church to come. He doesn't want to go to Ephesus because he loves and knows everybody. But if he gets in, he'll never get out. So he's got to keep going. He needs to be in, in Jerusalem by Pentecost. And so he just says to the elders, I want to say goodbye to you. Would you come and meet me? So they come. It's, I forget how many miles, but they come to the coast and they meet him at the ship. And this is the conversation that ensues. I want you to just see verse 25 there. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. This is the last time you'll ever see me, says Paul. The Lord's told me that. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Paul says, no one's going to go to hell because I didn't tell them. I was as faithful to tell everybody I could as I I was able to be. And I told you the truth and the whole truth. Be on guard for yourselves, verse 28, and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, see, they're the elders, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, here it is, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Paul says, now that I'm out of Ephesus, see, he's a pretty big, he's a pretty pretty tough guy to deal with. He's been the leader. Well, once he says, now that I'm out of Ephesus, people will come into Ephesus from outside. It's a big church, a lot of it, a lot of probably a lot of money, a lot of people are coming. You're going to have prophets and, and, and self-made apostles coming in to lead you, I guarantee you. And he calls them savage wolves. They're there for what they'll get. Verse 30, and from among your own selves. Okay, not only are outsiders going to come in and try to take over, but people will rise up from within the Ephesian church, and they will begin to gather groups after them. Among yourselves will arise speaking perverse things. Why? to draw the disciples after them. That's called factions. They're factious people. They're going to take groups of people and pull them away from the body. Look with me at 1 John 4. I won't... uh, Paul and Timothy, they had just said in later days, boy, you're going to have a lot of this. Many will fall away and there'll be lots of false teachers. 1 John 4, 3 John, Jude, and Revelation. So you're almost to the book of Revelation. Paul says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is about 90 AD. Many are out there already. Now, he gives a test. Here's one of the real problems. What was going on way back then? Look at this. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has Come in the flesh is from God. What does that mean? Where did he come from? Heaven. That's the point. Clear back, in the, right, literally during Jesus' lifetime, people were questioning, was he indeed the divine son of God? It's oneness teaching. And so they were saying, great prophet, he's a great man, great leader, you know, best of all people, that kind of talk. But the idea that he was the divine son of God who became a man, that was a hard concept. And it's it's being questioned way back there. And John says, I'm going to tell you how to test them. If they they doubt that Jesus is the son of God who became a man, 
Then look what he calls it. Look at the next verse. He says, every spirit that does not confess Jesus this way is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. You want to know what he thinks of oneness teaching? I'm serious. I believe he wrote his gospel. Late, late, late on, people say, why did he? He wrote the gospel, look at it, he, to declare who Jesus really is because it was already being eroded by false teachers. So how does he open his gospel? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And, and then he goes on, and he says, the only begotten Son, he hath, be, he hath explained the Father. Man, he is going, let's get this clear as to who our Lord is. Amen? All right. So this was already, the, the tension, the theological things were already going on way back then. I want to give you some signs of a false prophet. Here is a list of some activities and attitudes that are often associated with false prophets. In no order, other than this is just when they came to my mind. First of all, flattery. Verse 24, you recall that, that he says, you have not followed this prophet, prophetess in the group in the deep things, and Jesus says, of Satan. But you know what they called them. They were teaching the deep things of God. In other words, it appeals to the pride of mind. You're not one of these simple, common, everyday, dull Christians. You're one of those deep thinkers. You, you see below the surface. You're the kind of person that, uh, oh, you're, you, you see much more than most people. We're going into the deep things here. Some people don't want to believe something they can't understand. Let me tell you, you're just not that smart. <laughs> and it would do you a lot of good to come to that conclusion. When it comes to God, I mean, come on, the universe. Do you understand math that well? I mean, if nothing convinced you of the, of, of the wonder of God, that ma mathematics ought to. <laughs> he put all this math together. And not only if it's math, math was, math was hard enough for me. Physics! Chemistry. Yeah. Ah, he understands all of it and knows the hairs on my head. The size of this universe, the complexity, the mass of it, the, 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 the laws of physics and the dynamics that are at work here. God spoke it. You're going to understand him? Wow, you're really smart. But the prophet will go to the pride of mind. We're going to take you into the deep things of God. You're more important to God than most of the common people around you. Smarter, wiser, more discerning. It appeals to the pride. Prophecies that assure us that we have a high calling or fabulous plans. I want to just mention something. We had a group in this area many, many years ago. Uh, easily 20 years ago. So you haven't a clue what I'm talking about. But this group, which frankly taught the oneness doctrine that I just referred to, the, the, the thing he calls Antichrist, taught this. They said, now what we believe and know about the oneness of God makes us the Rachel bride. Now, you remember that Jacob had two, two brides, so actually he had more than that, but anyway, besides the point. But he, had his, he, he was expecting to marry Rachel, and his father-in-law did what? Got him drunk and married him to his oldest daughter, who was, Rachel didn't love her. So he's stuck with Leah. And, but he's married, and then he marries Rachel. So he has two brides, as it were, and one bride he loves. He loves Rachel. He just delights in her. And he's stuck with Leah. So this church was the Rachel bride of Jesus. And all the rest of us are Leah brides. Oh, he has to let us in, you know, kind of. But they were the delight of the, of, the, of the groom's heart. They were the Rachel. We're just the ugly Leah. That's pure false prophet stuff. You can smell the sulfur. You can. You buy that stuff, you know, you just, you just don't do it. 
prophecies, false prophets will give us prophecies that assure us that we have a high calling. Now, I'm going to be careful here because you and I, you know, we've been given prophetic words and there's, there's some beautiful, wonderful ones. So everything hinges on integrity. And I am not in any way going after the, the true gift of prophecy. I love the true gift of prophecy. I think we need more of it, not less. So this is not something that says let's not have prophecy. But integrity of the heart is everything in this deal. And false prophets use the technique and, and, and use it for a reason. And they will give you prophecies that are flattering. Oh, God's called you to be a prophet to the nations. You are going to be a voice. Thousands will gather to listen to you preach. You're, you know, you're thinking, whoa. Okay. And you begin to get this deep, you know, you're feeling insecure. You're feeling like, where's my life going? And this guy gives you this prophecy that you are the hottest thing since sliced bread. And it goes inside. And you want this person to be right. You, it, it literally forms a codependency. I need you to be a true prophet because of what you said about me. It's so wonderful, so, so fabulous that if you're wrong, all those things aren't true. So I need you to be right. So it literally hooks me to you. They will even stoop to finally giving, telling people that they are going to receive the longings of their hearts. So the single person is promised, I see it, I see it, a husband, a wife is coming soon. It's coming soon. Oh man, really? You got me. The barren mother, you'll have a child soon. You'll have a child. And I, you got me. Now listen, in this church, within just the last few years, we've had the true prophecy exactly like that. Where we had a, a barren woman on our church we had a prophecy in a Sunday morning service. Within the year she was pregnant, she's now had her second child. So don't, you, you, there's, you see, the, I'm not saying this can't be a true prophecy. I'm seeing the technique being used for the, to hook the person. The motive of the heart. It's why it's so subtle. What are the deep things of God? Let me tell you what the deep things of God really are. You want to go deep? Let's go deep. We're not going to just be shallow, normal. We're going deep. You want to go deep? You go deeper in obedience in the basics. That's deepness. Learning to understand and live out his commands. To forgive, to be merciful, to be kind. Learning to walk purely before him. Learning to have that become so real and deep in your life that it releases the power of the Holy Spirit into situations. That's depth. You can spend the rest of your life learning to love as the Lord would have you love. That's depth. Not figuring out who the two witnesses in the revelation are. I've got people that can tell you now. You don't need to worry about it if you want to know. In fact, I've had them come to the church. I have. Anyway. T secondly, tickling of the ears. They tell people what they want to hear. I mean, bottom line, and that's fact, that's what you've got going on in Pergamum and in Thyatira. They, they, I, we explained that last week. They're telling them what they want to hear, whether it be money, sex, safety. Well, I'll show you Jesus getting a false prophecy. This is kind of interesting. Go with me to Matthew 16 for a second. Jesus is being given a false prophecy. Yeah, he didn't take it well. Verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, from the, way, the Lord's response, you can tell he's doing it prophetically. Saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get, thee be get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. Peter was telling him what at least Peter wanted to hear. It's so easy to let our emotions, our desires, what we want to be true, suddenly become prophecy. Feels right because we want it so bad. And Jesus says, Satan, I know where that came from. 
Years ago, so many years ago, you wouldn't have a clue what I'm talking about. A religious leader came whose primary MO is to tell people how to get rich spiritually. There's spiritual techniques. It doesn't happen anymore, but back then, <laughs> that sort of thing would occur. Yeah. And uh, he was telling people how to get rich, and he came, to, he came to Seattle, and he was in the key arena, and somebody invited me, and I went. Well, we must have had 10,000 people in that thing, and I was... And, uh, it, and I'm sitting way up there. And this day, this particular guy, got, he got a notion in his head, that, I, and I think it was just the conviction of the Spirit. He, he decided, I'm not going to talk about money today. I'm going to talk about the love walk. And so, you know, we're all there, and we've had all this, and, and he comes out, and he starts talking to us about love, that we ought to be loving each other. And I, I'm thinking to myself, I didn't know that guy had it in him. That's cool. Go for it, man. I mean, yeah, that's good. You know, and I'm listening to this talk about, about loving as we ought to love. I'm going to tell you that the, the house was just flat as a pancake. There was no energy in the room. It was like 10,000 people going, this is bait and switch. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't come for this. What are you doing? And he's a professional. He can read his crowd. And, and he thought, he's thinking, I'm tanking. This is, this is, this is dead on arrival. And, and so he, at, at some point, with absolutely no logical connection whatsoever, he, he, took a, he took a sharp right turn and went, he's the Lord of the tithe. And boy, the place went, went electric. Yes! And, and people are just, and you can just feel the energy throb through the room. That's what we came to hear. Now you're on it. Go! And he began to talk about how we can get rich, and he's the Lord of the tithe, and ha, 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 and off we went. He's telling them what they want to hear. And it works. It works. It works. Factious, false prophets will divide people into groups. They, it's part of the, it's, it's literally part of the thing. To be with us, you have to be against them. There's always an us and a them. They will always find fault. They come into a church, they come into a gathering, come into whatever it is, and they begin to point out what's wrong. And you got to come out and beat from among them. Get out of this Babylon. You know, get out of this, this dead bunch. They're all dead. Look at them. They don't love Jesus like you do. You're special. And come on with me. And they pull it. Why? They have to do this. If they come in and say, this is all great, why would they, who would follow them? So they have to, they have to slander everything. It's a, it's, a, it's a virtual technique and a style. Paul says, Titus 3.10, and he says, reject a factious man after a first and a second warning. That's, he says, when you get those in your church, give them two warnings, get rid of them. I will not have the church being torn apart by ambitious men. Self-righteous criticism. Aimed at what's wrong with everybody else. Do you get the newsletters? Some people, it's an industry. It's virtually the way they make their living is writing newsletters that criticize everybody else. Here's what's wrong with him. Here's what's wrong with her. Here's what's wrong with this. Here, the whole church is rotten and going to pot. Yes, sir, e, Bob. Send in your money. <laughs> it's a technique. It's a way of... Getting a following. Paul speaks about to the, to the Corinthian church, and he's so, so troubled. He said, what are you doing dividing into groups? I have Paul, I have Cephas, I have Apollo. Stop it. I'm glad I didn't baptize anybody, about four or five of you. Quit saying you're of Paul. You're of Jesus, I thought. Corinthians 11, he'll, he'll do it again. He'll say, I hear that there's divisions among you, and I, I partly believe it. And he says, I guess that has to be because some people are just determined to pull on out. But I want you to hear something. False prophets, and I'll say it in a minute, don't mind losing people. Don't mind throwing people away. It's like, get rid of those dead wood. Cut them out. Good riddance. I want you to hear Jesus and how he confronts People that are actually dead wood. Look at Revelation 3. Laodicea. And this church, if you take his words literally, a bunch of people can't possibly be saved there. 
I mean, if he means what he says with any sort of literalness to them, he's basically telling them, you guys, when he says you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, uh, that's no compliment. Uh, he, and when he tells them you don't have white garments on, that's, that's the coup de grace. When you don't have white garments and you're naked, then you have no righteousness of faith. So he's telling them, you're not even mine, but I want you to hear how he appeals to them. It's not, ah, just get rid of that bunch. Listen to his heart. Listen now, Jesus, the true shepherd, treats a situation like this. Verse 19, those whom I love, look at that, I love you guys. I reprove and discipline, therefore be zealous and repent. He's calling for repentance, and he says this beautiful image. Behold, I stand at the door and knock of your lives, of your church, of your heart. I'm outside here, but I'm knocking on your door. If, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. The Lord Jesus, far from slashing and burning and criticizing and throwing people away, the Lord Jesus says to a group that's in really bad shape, they are really worldly, I love you. And I'm at the door knocking. Would you please open it and let me come into your life? I want to I dwell inside of you and I want to fellowship with you and I want you to fellowship with me. Do you hear the sweetness of the shepherd's heart? Always notice the false prophet, and the true shepherd. There's very different hearts. Let's look at this a little more. Go with me. Now, this isn't easy to find, but Amos. Amos chapter 3. It's worth the effort. It's page 1400 and something here. <laughs> Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. So, Joel, Amos, if you can find that. That's not much help, is it? But this is, now this verse is actually in the middle of, a, of, of God confronting the northern kingdom. But, but, I, but, he, but he says something in this verse 12 of describing the shepherd's heart that speaks of him. And it, it's extremely beautiful. Amos chapter 3, verse 12. Just as the shepherd snatches from the lion's mouth, a couple of legs or a piece of an ear. Just as the shepherd snatches from the lion's mouth a couple of legs or a piece of an ear. By the time the lion has a couple of legs, what condition is the sheep in? By the time it's eating the ear, the good stuff's all gone. But a true shepherd gives nothing to the lion. The true shepherd says, give me that. And takes the carcass. Takes the ear. He, don't, he won't even give an ear. It's not like, well, that's a dead sheep. The true, true shepherd, there's an anger in the shepherd. He hates the wolf. He hates the lion. Give me that. I want to show you someone who had the same heart. Look, look at 1 Samuel 17. Verse 34. David is explaining himself to Saul. He wants to go out against Goliath. Verse 34. But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. And I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by the beard and struck him and killed him. This kid's a teenager. Now, if you're a teenager and you've got a real lion and a bear or a bear or whatever, and the lion has taken a lamb. It's got it in its jaws. Wouldn't you sort of say, well, there's one lamb. Take the lamb, but no more. No more. Huh? Not David. 
She says, give me that lamb, you stinking lion. And he goes, there's, the, there's an anger that rises up in him. He goes out after this thing, and he, and he, and he, and he grabs the sucker by the beard. Would you grab a lion by the beard? This is, that's a hair here. He grabs it by the chin and beats it on the head. That's why God made him the shepherd of Israel. Why did they call him in from the fields? Because this is the young man with a heart like God's. Do you see it? False prophets. Wolves that come for what they can get off the sheep. Shepherds who hate the wolf. And will put their own life on the line to destroy that beast. That will take out of its jaws even an ear. After the animal. There's nothing left but a carcass. We'll give nothing to the enemy. It troubles me when people say, well, there's just a few that went. Just a few? Like, what if it was your children that went? Just a few that got corrupted, not a problem. What if it was your family? Now it's a problem, isn't it? Well, that's how God feels about everybody. There's no such thing as collateral damage in the kingdom of God. It's a tragedy. Hallelujah. False prophets have a strong personal dynamism very often. There is an intimidating regal presence. Do you know what that feels like? What people have like that? Strong personable and animal magnetism, as it were. Now, I want you to know something that is not the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's not wrong. Some people just have it. And then there's those of us who don't. There's certain people enter the room and everybody goes, who's that? You know, and you just, like that, you want to salute just because of who they are. And it's not their fault even. It's not wrong. But it's not anointing. It's animal magnetism. And there's a lot of these that have that. An attitude of personal superiority. I mean, you, they come in, you want to stand up and brush the seat off for them or something. Hair goes up in your arm. I want you to listen to an apostle, a real one, and listen to the animal magnetism that he describes. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 4. Verse 7. Paul had quite a problem with the Corinthian church. They were constantly disrespecting him and uh, treating him rudely. It's amazing. He says here to them, he says, who verse 7, 1 Corinthians 4, 7, who regards you as superior? What do you have that you didn't receive? In other words, you haven't been taught by me, frankly. And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you'd not received it? Who made you so big? How did you get so big for your britches? You're, you are already filled. You have become rich. You have become kings without us. Kings, kids. And indeed, I wish that you had become kings so that we might reign with you. For I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all as men condemned to death. Because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ, but you're Prudent, wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. To this present hour, we're hungry and thirsty and poorly clothed and roughly treated and are homeless. And we toil, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. And when we are persecuted, we, are in, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become as the scum of the world, dregs of all things. Even until now. How's that for animal magnetism? Regal presence. Elsewhere, Paul has said, said I, I, I'm nothing to look at. I apparently had bad eyesight and wasn't, was short. He said, I don't have any kind of presence like that. I have, the, the same fellow that was in Key Arena, when confronted with that passage, you know what he said? In effect, he said, Paul really didn't have faith like we do today. I'm, I'm not making this up. 
He said, Paul didn't have faith. That's why he had these problems. We kind of matured onward. And so you really can't follow Paul in that because he didn't have faith like we do. Now, I'm going to tell you, I don't want to be cruel, and I'm not going to any specifics, but you look at the lives of some of these, these leaders, these false, or even just sort of mixed up people. Look at their lives. Look at their marriages. Look at their kids' lives. I don't want to be cruel, but they are a mess. It's a bluff. It's a bluff. I'm not trying to be cruel, but, I let, but, it, but enough's enough. To call Paul. So you, Paul, the guy in Key Arena. Paul, take your pick. He's got it all together. Paul says, you're, you're rich, you're welcome, you're powerful, you're prudent, you're wise, you're strong. And he says, then, then there's the, us apostles, you know, the real ones. He says, we're the scum of the earth. We're sleeping in the roadsides. We're being beaten. By the way, you know, as, as this thing, a letter into, to, to uh, Revelation is being written, uh, not far away at Laodicea, Philip and his daughters, who are prophetesses, will be stoned to death. For not worshiping the emperor. To this day there's a burial site called the Philip Martyrium up on a hillside. Where Philip was killed. So there's Philip and his daughters stoned to death. And then there's the real people of power and faith. The heart of the shepherd. The heart of the false. The heart of the shepherd. The heart of the false. They're too wildly different if you have the eyes to see it. Isaiah 53 says this of Jesus. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him. Nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He did not have animal magnetism. He was not a handsome man. He looked like his mother and I'm not implying anything about Mary. But he looked like mom. He was a humble man. You didn't look at him and go, whoa, whoa. Now you say, yes, he did. He was very handsome and he was blonde. I've seen the movies. I know what he looked like. Don't tell me what he looked like. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look on him. But he was a man acquainted with sorrow. With grief. For he bore our sorrows and our sickness. And upon him was laid our iniquities. And his stripes were for us that we might be healed. The real shepherd who tears the ear out of the lion's jaw. A bruised reed he will not break. He doesn't throw it away, say, that's damage, get me another one. He will not break a bruised reed. He will not break a bruised man. He will not break a bruised woman. A smoldering wick, a heart that has hardly any faith left at all. He doesn't say, get them out of here. Dead wood. Bring in the deep people. He blows on the spark. A smoldering wick he will not put out. That's our Lord. That's the real shepherd. That's the one you follow. Not the other. And they're very different. Changing role of prophecy in the new covenant. This is important. Now here we're going to turn a corner, but but it's a very important part of this. Because the Old Testament is so full of stories about great prophets and so many of its books are about about their writings, it is very natural to think of prophecy in Old Testament terms. But the role of prophets and prophecy dramatically changed on the day of Pentecost. And that change will remain in place until Jesus comes again. Number one, the capacity to prophesy is now available to all believers. Acts chapter 2, Peter says on the day of Pentecost, he quotes from the prophet Joel. He says, this is that which the prophet Joel has spoken. And as he describes what he's looking at with Pentecost, and he quotes this, I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. Say all mankind. Your sons and your daughters, say your sons and your daughters, daughters. shall prophesy. 
even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit. Do you hear it? The idea that women can't minister or speak on behalf of the Lord is blasphemy in light of that text. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, says this spiritual reality, the, the messianic gift of the new covenant, has arrived. Look, all of us, men and women, are prophesying as Joel said it would. That, that new potential. Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. He says, wait in Jerusalem until the promise of what? The new covenant has come upon you. What is the new covenant? The new covenant is, I will no longer simply give you a covenant like the old, but I will come and I will write my laws on your mind and heart. How? By the Holy Spirit, revelation and inner conviction and working. You will know me from the least to the greatest. No one will say, no, the Lord, for you shall all know me. Why? I'll dwell inside of you. And I will be merciful to you and your sins I will remember no more. This is, cup is the new covenant in my blood, says Jesus. He has issued in an era in which the Holy Spirit is universally given to all the people of God without measure. And you've got to get that when you begin to think about prophets. In the Old Testament, there were certain men and women, the Spirit of God would come mightily upon them. Samuel was so anointed. I mean, I was just reading it the other day again. So anointed... That when, when Saul wanted to get David, who was hiding out with Samuel, that he sent men after him, and everybody who came would get even near the place where Saul was, and they were worshiping and, and, and prophesying. The spirit would fall on them. They all start prophesying. They come home, and, and they didn't get David. So finally, Saul says, you want a thing done? You got to do it right yourself, you know? And so he goes. He gets near the place. The spirit hits him. He falls on the ground, tears off his clothes. He's running around like a naked as a jaybird, prophesying for three days. Now that's power. Huh? It's not like there's no power in the Old Testament. It's not like these men and women weren't anointed of God. They were highly anointed of God. But it wasn't given to all. Now it is. In the New Covenant, the model moves from hearing God through one person to a community of spirit-filled believers who listen to God inwardly and through each other as they gather. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. To each of you is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Say to each of you. This is the potential. Everybody doesn't have to talk, but everyone is potentially, because they're full of the Holy Spirit, they are a vessel through whom God can minister. Men and women. 1 Corinthians 14, 31. For you can all prophesy one by one. How many can prophesy? All. Say all, yes. So that all may learn and all may be exhorted. 1 Corinthians 12, 29. Now Paul says, all are not prophets, are they? And then he goes on and lists a whole bunch of other things. He's talking about the pattern. The Holy Spirit typically uses certain people in certain ways. These are patterns of ministry, not office. Authority is vested in the fact that the person is a true elder, not their gifts. You can't say, well, I don't have to pray because I don't have the gift of intercession. I've heard, I don't have to give. I don't have the gift of giving. <laughs> I have. I've also heard, I also heard one gal years ago. She came and says, I don't want to serve and help because I don't have the gift of service. And I thought, well, that's tough. You help anyway. Uh, <laughs> it is true that the Holy Spirit typically uses people in different ways, right? Certain areas where he uses you more than others. But you can never say, I can't. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Greater is he that's, he's in me now, see? You got it? We're a different people. Since Pentecost, things have changed. God will use certain people, but you, 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 are, you are now indwelt with the Spirit. You can prophesy. When I, I told you how my back was healed, I didn't go to some miracle service. I was sitting here on a stool. And the group said, well, we're Pentecostals, and put their hand on me and healed my back. Just plain folk. Right? Full of the Holy Ghost. 
So there's a waking up that has to go on in the church of Jesus Christ when we get on this whole subject. We don't go running around looking for, for oracles who will tell us the word of God. We have the written word of God. We have Christ who we've seen and know. And we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And we listen to each other. And yes, there's teachers. And there's all kinds of ministries and patterns. But you can all teach. We can all give. We can all prophesy. We can all pray for the sick. We can all hear the, the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom. Because we have the giver of all gifts living inside of us. Would you stand with me? Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you are our shepherd. The more we see you, the more beautiful you become. A ferocious shepherd that will not simply allow us to be taken by the lion and say, well, I've got a lot more. But we'll leave the 90 and 9 and go way out on the hillside to find us and bring us home who will grab that beast by the beard and go to war for us. Lord, that's, that love is just gives us such security. The arms that are around us will never let us go. And Lord, today, we'll never let you go either. We love you. We thank you, Lord, for giving us shepherds and for making us shepherds. Lord, I think every one of us, family, children, Workplaces, we, we, we shepherd. Give us your heart as a shepherd. And Lord Jesus, you've made us a, a community of people full of the Holy Spirit. May we open to that. May we learn to listen to you through each other. And through the inner witness of the, of the Spirit of God speaking to us. Welcome, Lord. We love your prophetic word. We love your prophetic word, but give us great discernment, great caution, and even the courage to confront when there is false prophets. Help us, Lord. Be free of them as we walk with you. In Jesus' powerful name we pray it. That's your prayer. Would you say amen? Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.